Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, everybody, I'm so excited to keep this story going. I I just I'm just I'm doing this one back to back here in my current situation, which uh, for those of you who are following on Bob Thoughts, I'm recording all over the country this year uh, because I am traveling and we are having a blast. Anyways, so here we are. We uh, have got all the brothers on their way to Egypt. They are dealing with, I think, years of suppression of their guilt and uh, just the results of their choices to sell their brother into slavery, even though some of those choices, I think, were tempered by their desire to reverse those choices and basically be loved by their dad. I think it was motivated at their core because of poor fathering on Jacob's part and their poor response to that. But I'm going to jump back in to verse 6 of Genesis chapter 42. Now, Joseph saw his brothers, or now Joseph, sorry, was the governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed to him with their faces on the ground. Boom! Dream number one has been fulfilled. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. He said, where do you come from? From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him which I'm sure was something of a curiosity to him. Then he remembered his dreams about them, and he said to them, You are spies! <laughs> you have come to see our land is un- where our land is unprotected. And then we, I'll continue. So let's, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll read more in a minute. But a lot has happened here, okay? So Joseph, it says Joseph, uh, verse 6, was governor of the land, right? We've already established that. Viceroy, second in command, everybody answered to him. And the person who sold grain to all its people... When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces on the ground. So we covered this in pretty good detail last week uh, regarding the position that Joseph would have had at the entrance to the gate of the of the land, the one gate that he had available for foreigners to come into. And he did this again for multiple reasons, but I think in the back of his head, he wasn't he wasn't, you know, a, a, an idiot. I'm sure in the back of his head he thought, if my brothers come down or some representative from the family comes down, I'm going to see them. And I think he came up with this plan. I don't believe this was God's plan because there's a lot of, um, I would say, uh, it seems kind of, there's some personal hurt, I think, involved in this plan. I don't think God had anything to do with it. Not that, not that I, you know, I'm not going to say that, that, Joseph was living in sin and doing this all wrong. But, you know, sometimes you make choices to go after people who have hurt you. And I think in his mind, he had probably rehearsed a number of times what he would do if he ever saw a brother, let alone all 10 of them. So he's sitting there at the gate. He uh, He's strategically placed there. It's also a political placement. Why? Because all the foreigners would come and bow before his gate. So he's elevated. Uh, I don't know if he's on a wooden structure or a stone structure, but he's elevated. All the foreigners come and they bow before him. They bow to the office 
of the governor. They bowed to the, the to the political position of Egypt. They they make sure that there is submission involved to anybody who comes to Egypt. They're going to show some form of submission. Every family in the world that wants grain and goes to Egypt is going to show a level of respect and submission to the nation of Egypt. This is pretty big. Remember, Egyptians are generally, and I know it's general because not everybody is is racist, but generally they were at the very least prejudiced. They were the world ruler. They were the ones who have the grain supply for the world. They they understand themselves to be of greater uh, religious uh, followers. They they have the better gods. They have the better uh, pharaoh. They have the better army. And currently, they have the best governor in the world. So the bowing down before the office in, of the elevated tent of Joseph would have been a normal thing for everybody to do. But he sees his brother, and he probably saw them in line before they came to bow. And foreigners were generally brought in. They'd bow before the governor. Sometimes he would acknowledge them. Sometimes he wouldn't. I think a lot of times Joseph at least made visual contact with everybody because in his in his own way, he wanted to meet and understand all the families that were now in submission and at some level owed their survival to the nation of Egypt. This was one of the one of part one of the threads of a master plan, and that plan is pretty awesome. And we'll break it down uh, probably not today because I'm going to try and get through the rest of the uh, chapter. So they come in, they bow down. The brothers, he sees the brothers. Um, now, generally, foreigners were not brought into the cities, right? They were they were given their grain from right there at the silos. And then they were sent off. They were they come in one door and they go out the same door. They were kept an eye on the whole time. There were there were probably guards. I don't know if you want to call them sentries. I think they're called sentries when they're just kind of observing. People observing the foreigners all along. They wanted them to know, listen, you've paid homage to Egypt. You are our guest. We are feeding you. Now be nice. And they, they would, right? These are hungry people. And they are looking for food, and they're being provided for food, and they've paid for the food. If you were going to go into the city, you would be vetted by officers. And sometimes that would turn violent. They wanted to know your intent. What are your travel plans? What are you going to do if, if, you're, if you got grain and now you want to go further into the country? What are you going to do in that? What's, what's your purpose? Now, those questions... Would have been would have already been asked uh, by the time I think Joseph talks to these guys. But he remembers the dreams. He recognized the brothers, first of all. They did not recognize him. So I have a feeling as they got closer, he stood up and they bowed before him and he's looking at them, wondering what's going on. And then he remembered the dreams. And what does he say? You are spies. <laughs> you have come. To, to see where our land is unprotected. Now, this would, this is a legit deal, right? A lot of foreigners wanted to know where Egypt was unprotected because they wanted to control the grain for the world. They wanted to get into the country. They wanted to take over the country. Now, it's tougher and tougher to do when your army is starving. So it, it, it would become less and less of an issue, but Egypt still had to be on its toes. Its military had to be ready to go. And being alert to foreigners at the, at the main gate 
would have been something that Joseph would have also been generally aware of. I have to pay attention. I have to vet people. You know, uh, how do I feel when I look at them? How do they feel when they look at me? So he accuses them. Jo- uh, <laughs> now, the, bro- the brothers had to be really, really uh, taken aback by this. He, they immediately, right, Joseph's question, Joseph, Joseph's questions had to, had to totally give, like, off this incredible vibe of suspicion and mistrust. And as soon as Joseph throws out this question, like, guards would have been, like, on high alert. Like, they were already generally paying attention to what's going on. But Joseph looks at a group of 10 men, and he says, you are spies. You have come to see what our land, where our land is unprotected. And they're like, no, 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 we've come to buy food. No, my Lord, like they're showing submission again. My Lord, your servants, like we are slaves to you. We've just come to buy food. We can't survive without you. We Here, we'll even volunteer information. This is the classic move that so many people do, like when the, like when the cop comes to, the, to your window of the car. And, and you watch this on, on YouTube, right? And, and I've done it too, uh, especially when I was young. You know, I get pulled over for speeding and, and you know, I'd, I'd like vomit out my life story to the cop. No, sir, I really didn't mean to be speeding. You see, I, I work at this church down the street and I just got done with the youth group and I'm one of the pastors there and, and, and we had this, you know, and it's late and I was just, I was just, I didn't mean and da, 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 da. And, and looking back now, like the cop just says he, he could care less. He wouldn't, he, he didn't care, but, but at some level, when you're accused of something, when you're being suspicious of, suspic, sus, uh, suspected of something that isn't true, you start to like vomit what you think is evidence that, that you're not who they suspect you to be. And this happens a lot, I know, in court, in courtrooms, right? Lawyers, their job is to get you really to kind of give information that they're not asking for in hopes that you eventually incriminate yourself. So I think I think these that's what happened with these brothers, right? They Joseph is like, you guys are spies. Like there's 10 of you. You guys are like undercover. You're here to spy out the land to see where it's unprotected so you can go back and your country can come down and try and take over my country and, and steal the grain. And they're like, no, 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 no. We are. We, we, we wouldn't do that. We are all brothers of one man. There's 10 of us, and, and one of them is no more. That would be Joseph, who died, as far as they're concerned. And the youngest one is still at home. Yeah, yeah. No, every, everything's good. We're like, uh, uh, we're, we're an open book. We're from the land of Canaan. Like, everything's good. The youngest one is at home. We're, we're no, and, and all the brothers are probably nodding and saying, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, that's, that's what it is. And the guards, I, I picture the guards kind of getting closer, like they've they've kind of corralled them now into a circle, and and other foreigners are looking at them, and other, other you know the the line maybe has moved over a little bit to create space in case there's suddenly you know a bloodbath, and everybody's kind of quiet, and I think Joseph, I don't think this was rapid fire because I think Joseph is kind of making this up in his as he's going along, even though he's considered what he would do if he ever met them, he's kind of winging the actual playing out of the plan. So he's, I, I think he's standing there and nobody's questioning him and the guards aren't looking at, at Joseph. Joseph could do whatever he wants. 
a lot of them probably view him at, at the very least of, as some sort of high priest of his God, because clearly everything Joseph predicted is coming true. So he has got a lot of spiritual power and authority as well as physical authority and power in the land of Egypt. And Joseph says to them, I just told you, you are spies. Well, there's no questioning that what just happened. I told you, you are spies. Like you, you, I don't care where you came from, how many brothers you have. That's not my point. I don't need, I don't need evidence for what I know to be true is what he's saying, which is incredibly uh, disconcerting to, to you, right? If, if, if you go to a teacher and the teacher says you cheated on this exam and you're like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. And I can, I know you did. And I, you know, it, it, nothing you can say is going to change my mind is basically what Joseph is saying here. And you're like, what? But I, there's uh, like, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You know, there's nothing you can do. There's nowhere to go. And all the brothers know this. So they're sitting there. Now, he makes his accusations. And again, I, I believe this is not God's direction. But we have to ask ourselves, like, why is Joseph doing this? Is it for revenge? Is it because he's bitter? Does he think he's being funny? <laughs> is it to show, show power? Show them, hey, you tried to kill me because you thought I was, you know, worthless. And now look at me. How you like me now? Oh man, that was that was a fun song back in the day. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Toby Keith. How you like me now? I know it was really big. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a pop song. Uh, oh, what a story! Brutal, brutal story. Anyways, <laughs> funny but brutal. Anyways, to show power was it to get information? Did he want to? Did he just was he just trying to put them in a position where he could? You know, he found out that his brother was alive. That is that is you know younger. Uh, that, that his father was alive and his brother was alive. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've, heard, I've heard messages on all of it, and, but unfor uh, not unfortunately, but I think a lot of people come from this whole deal that somehow God's a part of this plan. I don't think he is because there's deception here. I don't think God does deception. I don't think his plan brings about deception. As part of the plan, like let's lie and every and, and then I can do what I need to do. Now, will God's goodness still pull out what needs to be pulled out? Yes, because God's goodness is literally unstoppable, regardless of what evil might be around. So, I I don't know. I, my best guess for me is that he was trying to find out if they hated Benjamin as much as they hated him. Now, I, I told you last week, I don't think that they hated uh, Joseph. I think they wanted to be loved by their father. They blamed Joseph for keeping their father from, from loving them, which isn't true, and we've gone over that. Circumstances are never never the reason why, right? Your heart is the reason that you need to that needs to be worked on, not your circumstances. But he decides to test them. He's like, in verse 15, this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place 
unless your younger brother comes here. Wow, right? That in and of itself had to send it like it was like each one of the brothers had swallowed a brick. The lead that uh, that they felt in their stomach. And then he says, send one of you to get your brother and the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies, which basically means I'm going to kill you. So everybody, remember, I believe, uh, now this is just my conjecture, but I, I'm guessing they're surrounded by guards at this point. They're, they're camels or donkeys or oxen and their carts and their empty empty containers. Uh, all of that is, you know, already been separated from them. That's off to the side. They're alone. They're probably standing directly under Joseph. I don't think Joseph is on eye-to-eye contact with them. He is elevated. They are looking up at him. They've got nowhere to go. They clearly are at a at a disadvantage. Nobody has weapons, of course, because they are not soldiers. They're looking around, trying to find a, a reason why they they volunteered information in hopes that he would believe them. And he's like, I don't believe you. And the only way I'm going to believe you is if one of you goes back and gets your younger brother. <clears throat> so there. Everybody else will stay here in prison. Now he knows how far the trip is, and I believe on a direct route, if you if you if you go nonstop, I think it's three or four days of of travel a week. Maybe or maybe it's three or four weeks. Oh, Bob, I know. Engineer Bob's like, you didn't look this up? I didn't look it up because I sure I read it somewhere and thought, I'll never forget that. And here I am completely forgetting that. All right. So he knows how long it's gonna. It's going to take, and so he puts them, all of them, in custody for three days. Basically, he's waiting for a volunteer. Nobody comes forward. There's no volunteers. Now, now there's, there's a lot going on in these three days. I think the brothers, like, like what? why wouldn't one of them just be like, I'll be right back? Like, give me a horse, I will ride until I die type of thing. But I think no one wants to leave because they know Benjamin is not coming to Egypt. Like, they like they are so confident that their father would never let Benjamin leave his side and by saying that, I mean they are confident that that Jacob would rather let the ten of them die than lose Benjamin. This is how sad of a father Jacob is. That he's got ten sons that are in prison <clears throat> that are sitting there and they're going, it doesn't do us any good. If one of us leaves and, and goes to get Benjamin... He's not coming. And so the other nine are going to die. And I'm, you know, nobody wants to be the one who's still alive. Nobody wants to be the one who now lives with Benjamin and Jacob because all Jacob's going to do is be in deeper depression, deeper manipulation, deeper meanness, 
anger, frustration, all the things that come when you have uh, arrogance and unforgiveness and rejection and self-blame, and it's just he just he's just wallowing in it. And because of of their confident, they are so confident that Jacob would rather lose all of them and save save Benjamin that they literally are like, well, then we'll just all, let's just all die together. If if nine are going to die, let's 10 of us die. You know, our families will be our, will be Jacob's responsibility. And hopefully Benjamin, you know, will figure out a way to uh, take care of things. They're probably thinking, you know, dad can sell all of our livestock and uh, make enough and maybe, you know, whatever. They they have they have ideas, but nobody volunteers to leave the other nine because they know no Benjamin is ever going to come down here. Dad will never let him leave his side. Meanwhile, Joseph is in the, you know, in his position waiting, waiting, waiting. For three days, he's watching people come and get grain, people come and get grain, people come and get grain. He's thinking... Why isn't one of them willing to go? Why isn't somebody, you know, stepped up to take this responsibility? And then he begins to probably put it together himself. He's probably like, they they know dad, like, Benjamin must be alive. And dad must be alive. Because they know dad won't let Benjamin go. So he needs to save face because, again, I think he kind of winged this plan in the moment. And everybody saw what he was doing, and everybody heard, everybody by being those who were standing around, all the guards and some of the officials, everyone knew what the plan was, that these 10 foreigners were accused of being spies, and one of them had to go back and get the younger brother, or they were all going to die. So Joseph has to come up with some sort of alternate plan, or he's going to look bad. So he pulls all the brothers out after three days. I have no idea what that looked like. I don't know where they were. But he knows if these guys don't go back with grain, all of their families die. And that's on me. Because I know who they are. I know they're not spies. I accuse them of being spies. Like, I I don't want to kill their families. This is not, like, that was not my goal. My goal was to see Benjamin. My goal was, you know, to make sure Dad was alive. And this is not. Uh, hmm, this is this is terrible. So he says uh, he pulls him out. On the third day, verse eighteen, Joseph says to them, "Do this, and you will live, for I fear God." So he makes a he makes a spiritual connection to his decision, which I've often I've often said. Listen, if you're unsure, if you're not confident. Or if you want no one else to argue with you, just throw God into the sentence. Like a God told me, <laughs> I believe that the that you know that God wants me to do this. I think that God has called me to, and and then uh, you're probably not going to get as much pushback. So I think he kind of throw in a spiritual aspect to this. He kind of made the first offer like a physical one, and now this is a spiritual one. He goes, uh, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you take grain back for your starving households. You see, he was concerned about the families. He was concerned about the families and he knew if I just have one brother here and all the others go, they'll, I'll make sure they have enough grain. Like I'll fill up everybody's stuff and I'll, you know, they'll take care of this one guy's family. And I'm sure he started to consider, who will I keep behind? 
And and uh, I think he had it all together when he when he brought this up. But they started to talk amongst each other. Job makes this offer. He said, one of you stay, nine of you go, but the nine of you come back and bring Benjamin. Or this guy, whoever stays behind, is going to stay there forever. Now, uh, he had to know that it could take years before they get back. Had to know that. Because if none of them were willing to go back and get Benjamin, he had to know that the idea of Benjamin coming down here is a long shot. And there's a good chance that whoever stays behind is going to be here for at least a year, possibly years. But at least the families would be alive and the person in the prison could be alive. So he no death was going to be on his hands. If he kept all 10 of them in prison, he knew there was a good chance family members would die. And he did not want that. That was not part of his plan. So uh, where is it? Verse 21, they said to one another, surely, now they're doing this in Hebrew. Remember, they don't have any idea that Joseph can hear them or, well, they have an idea he can hear them. They don't understand that Joseph can understand them. They said, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. And now we must give an accounting for his blood. Now, Joseph at this point turns away and he goes and cries somewhere. And then he comes back and he speaks to them. And he says, he points to Simon and, and, and has him taken from them and bound before their eyes. So they know this guy is going to prison. So in full view of Joseph, who evidently has been using an interpreter the entire time, so they know he doesn't, they don't think he speaks Hebrew, let alone understands it. And he's been speaking, you know, obviously Egyptian and having a Hebrew interpretation. So all this is, all these interactions have at least involved an interpret an interpreter. <clears throat> The brothers view God as somebody who's going to pay them back for what they did. They believe that they killed their, their brother. So Joseph is like, when he hears that they believe that they killed him, when he hears them say, we're being punished for what we did, and we know we did it, like they're taking responsibility they're taking responsibility. And he says, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. This is why, going back to the vow, this is why I believe he didn't reach back out. Because in pleading for his life, they made him take a vow to never reach back out to the family and never communicate and basically live as though he's dead to them. And Joseph honored that vow so he could live. He pleaded for his life. That means they didn't just pull him up from the well and, and sell him like, like a, lot, a lot of Sunday school stories go, right? No, there was, there, was, there was a moment in there where there was probably, you know, tears and snot running down the face and, and begging that went on. And, and there was probably arguments and mean words spoken and accusations and, 
and in the dark, you know, night under the under the starry skies of the desert and the coldness of the of the desert uh, night times, there had to be this incredible amount of pain and rejection that was going on between this family, between these brothers, and they held their ground. Those that had pulled them out of the out of the well. They held their ground, and at some level, they probably, when he, when he finally was dragged by the Midianites into their caravan, they probably felt some level of satisfaction that they had finally made Joseph pay for being favored by Jacob. And they probably were thinking, or at least Judah was, when I go get him and bring him back, he'll never be a jerk again. He will, he will be, you know, submissive to those of us that are older than him. It had to be, uh, well, obviously, it was overwhelming to Joseph to hear because he left, the, he left the room and began to cry. Now, I don't know if it was wailing, crying, but I kind of picture him, they, the, 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 you know, he makes the offer, hey, one of you will stay in prison, the other nine of you will go back. You, when, you, when you return, you bring Benjamin then I'll know you're telling the truth. I don't want your families to starve to death. So he comes across as a merciful governor and as somebody who, who fears God, who has a religious connection. That's, that's, all they, that's all they know is God spoke to him. And every, no one's going to question Joseph on this. No one in Egypt and, of course, none of the brothers. So they turn to one another and they, they are looking, and I'm sure at some level they're thinking one of us is staying and, and Reuben, Reuben doubles down. He's like, I told you not to sin against the boy. You wouldn't listen, and now all of us are paying for this. Remember, Reuben wanted to go get him that night and bring him back to his father and kind of be the hero and regain his position as the firstborn son. And when he, you know, when he returned to the well, it was empty and the deed was done. And he probably had more than just a few words to say to the brothers that had stepped out, in essence, out of line and had started their own little program, their own little little plan with, with Joseph. And he's just reiterating to them, I had the plan. Nobody listened to me. And now all of us are paying for this. So Joseph decides to get Simeon. Now, tradition says that Simeon is the one who actually threw Joseph in the well. Uh, where, 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 where do I, yeah, he was taken, he was taken, bound up in front of everybody. Now I'm guessing Reuben would have thought that he would have been taken, the one who stayed because he was the firstborn. It probably surprised them that Simeon was the one, but given the fact that they believe that this is payback from God, they probably walked away going, well, he is the one who threw him in, in the well, and now he's being thrown in prison. So Joseph loads up their stuff. He he gives orders. <clears throat> so that means the brothers aren't doing the work. He puts each man's silver back in his sack and, and he gives them provision for the journey. He fills up all their bags with grain. All you know, everything's everything's good. He, their, their carts are loaded, their donkeys are fed and watered, everything's ready. When the brothers walk out, they just they, you know, it's again, it's very, in my head, very similar to like getting a speeding ticket, right? The, the guy's finally done writing or the woman's finally done talk, writing your ticket and now you can go away, even if it's a warning ticket. 
and then they sit there behind you, right? I, I'm, I'm guessing they're doing paperwork, but internally it's like, oh, okay, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. Okay, uh, okay, start the car. Yeah, uh, oh, blinker, put the blinker on. Okay, uh, go drive away slowly. Drive away slowly. Don't, don't, don't spin out. Okay, get, I gotta get up to speed. Okay, yeah, blinker's on. Look, and you know, you're on the rumble strips on the, on the emergency, you know, on your tires. And then finally, it's like, okay, I'm on the highway and your heart's like beating. You just don't wanna screw things up for as long as a cop might see you. And I think that's the way these guys are. Like they, they get their carts, they got their donkeys. <clears throat> Simeon's already gone, dragged off to prison. They're like, just get home. Just, just let's just stay focused. Let's get home. You know, uh, most of the people that saw what had happened three days ago probably are gone. So no one quite knows where all these guys. They all they know is that they came out from the tent or from the tower where Joseph, the governor, is, and boom, they're on their way home. So. On their way home, they stop for a night. One of them opens up a sack to feed uh, his donkey, right? And he sees that there's his bag of silvers right there at the top of the sack. Now, he probably he probably pulls this out, and he goes, like, wandering back to his brothers. He's like, hey, guys, uh, here's here's my silver. They're like, what? Yeah, my silver. Here, Here's my silver. It's It's been returned. It was in, it was in, it was in my bag. Now they don't immediately like they don't they don't blame him, right? It says their hearts sank. And they turned to each other and said, What is this that God has done to us? Again, they're blaming God for bad things that happened to them. I don't believe God had anything to do with it. I don't think God had anything to do with any of this plan, but that's okay. His goodness is still gonna override it. So when they come to their father, which would have been days later, days later. They told them all that had happened to them. They explained to Jacob everything. The man who was Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. And we are 12 brothers, sons of one father, one who is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. And the man who is over us, he says to us, this is how I know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food to your starving families and go. But bring your youngest brother back to me so I will know you are not spies but honest men. And then I will give your brother back and you can trade in the land. So they say all this to, to Jacob and there's not an immediate response. And, and it, you get the sense because of the next couple of verses, or at least the next verse, sorry, verse 35, you get the sense that this probably happened over time, right? Again, time is is something that we miss so often when we read these verses. We think it's like like a like a punching bag, like boom, 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 boom. This story unfolded, and the and the retelling of the story unfolded over time. Each brother would have had an interaction with Jacob. They probably did it over dinner or over a a pot of tea or a hookah pipe or something. I don't know. They would have spent time telling them all the journey down. They are this culture is huge on the oral on the oral stories on on the narrative. They would have told the whole story. They would have told everything that they saw, everything that they heard, everything they experienced for the three days in jail, everything except for the fact that they felt guilty and feel that God is doing this to them because they killed Joseph. Because obviously they're not telling Jacob that. 
But in verse 35, he says, as they were emptying their sacks. So they told the story, but they they hadn't even unpacked yet. So this was probably, again, they got it back. They had a meal. They told their story. The meal probably lasted several hours. They get done with their meal. They un, unload the, the grain. I'm sure this was supposed to be a happy time. All the families had food. All the sacks were full. Everybody was excited. They're, they're transferring the, the grain from sacks into containers. And they're, some of them, you know, some of the wives and servants are immediately starting to make bread. It's, it's awesome. There in each man's sack was his patch of, pack of, pouch sorry, of silver. And when their father saw the money pouches, they were all frightened. Then their father, Jacob, finally we get a response from him. No response to the story, no response to anything until he sees the silver. And he, he again, goes right off the deep end into depression. You've deprived me of my children. They're all his children. But he, he specifically only considers Joseph and Benjamin his children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin against everything is against me. Again, victim is victim of mindset. His perception is completely uh, in disarray. He goes, you, Reuben says, listen, you can take both my sons and put them to death if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. Entrust him to me. I will bring him back. And Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead. He is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. In other words, I will die. Benjamin is not going back. Benjamin will not die on the road. So no one's going back. We will wait this out. Now, I'm guessing Jacob already figures Simeon or Simon is dead. Uh, he already figures Joseph is dead. He figures if Reuben takes Benjamin, Benjamin's going to die. That's what he means. Everything is against me. Every time somebody you know goes out on a journey, I lose one of my sons. I'm not doing this. We're going to wait this out. No one's going anywhere. No one's going anywhere. And so <laughs> that's where we will pick up the next episode of the Epic Narrative. These brothers and this father are going to wait out the famine and see what happens. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. Well, today's thoughts. <laughs> I... I think it's important that we, or that you, that we always keep in mind what these brothers might have been going through for 20 years or so while Joseph was down in Potiphar's house, in jail, and then, and then at the, you know, in the Pharaoh's house uh, for at least seven years of plenty and then at least one year of famine before they finally ran out of food and went down. So it's it's been it's been a, as they say in today's world, it's been a hot minute. I mean, think of all the years 
that they went through believing that they killed their brother. That even in their best intentions to possibly rescue him and bring him back, they killed their brother and they caused their father such grief that after all that time, he's still in mourning. He still has not stepped up and said, all right, let me love my the sons that are alive. He has been incredibly protective of Benjamin, who in, in his own right is a man. I mean, he's in his 20s at this point, possibly 30s, and, and yet he's ultimately still protected by his father. He won't let him go down. He basically says, we're going to wait out this famine. I will not lose my only, my last one, my only one. Again, horrible fathering uh, plan completely dismisses the other sons. You guys are irrelevant. I only have one son left that matters to me. Fascinating. And yet so many people look at Jacob and think, and, and preach as though this guy was a wonderful father of the faith. Well, he was a not a great father. I'm not saying he wasn't part of the original line of Abraham that believed in Yahweh and followed Yahweh. I get that. But this dude was not a good father. Uh, there's just no way around it. I, I don't know if I'd fight you over it, but I don't know if you could ever convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, those brothers spent all that time believing that he's dead. And the other thing, I, I, I know I mentioned it several times, uh, but again, I'm going to mention it again. Um. I don't think lying is ever a part of God's plan. I don't think you can sit here and and read the story of Joseph and somehow come up with, well, God's okay with lying because this was part of God's plan to get, you know, for revenge. No, lying, revenge, no, these are not in the culture of heaven. These are not in the atmosphere of heaven. These are not the kingdom of God. And you can, you, honestly, I do, I know the reasoning. I preached the reasoning that God is just and God is righteous and he's the only one in the universe that has the right to do these things. And yet, he wouldn't do these things because they are not a part of the world in which creation came from. You cannot go back to the beginning using the format of the enemy. You can't use darkness to fight darkness. It just, it it only empowers the darkness. Uh, so many Christians, I think, are bound up in that kind of mindset. Uh, so many people in church just, just, they just accept this crazy concept that this is how God behaves. It's, um, it's unfortunate. It, it's unfortunate because I think it has stolen it has stolen a life-giving relationship between them and their father because and their heavenly father, just to clarify. Because what it done is it made it's made God just like every other idol. It's made God just like every other God that had been on the planet. Manipulative, um, behavioral modificationalist. Um, we we call it conviction, but really it's it's condemnation. It, oh man, I'll tell you, it, that is not the way God describes himself and it is not the way Jesus made him, um, you know, it's not the way Jesus made him look. He said, I'm here to show you what the Father's like. Jesus did not do all those things. 
Anyways, those are my thoughts today. As I listened, I was like, wow. We we have we can't I don't think we can emphasize this enough because I do think it's a huge paradigm shift for many people. So if you're listening and you you think your mind's blown, just to consider that option, imagine the people that haven't listened and you want to try and introduce this option to them. It takes time. It really does because it's it's a dynamic it's a dynamic paradigm shift in the way that we and what we believe about God. Therefore, it shifts what we how we behave before him it's uh it's fascinating and i'm glad you're here for it have yourself a good day everyone hey everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com See you next week, guys.